Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And a big week, obviously always at the end of January, beginning of February. The first week is okay. The second week is a madhouse leading up to the Super Bowl. Kansas City, Philadelphia, frenzy in both parts of the country and frenzy all over the world as we analyze our deal-making issues three to one. Three. Arizona's family announces broadcast partnership with Phoenix Rising and the launch of a new network. Exciting time for Arizona family, they say. The network will provide viewers with live sports and the like. The new network launches on March 1, prior to the start of the USL Championship League's new season. Phoenix Rising take place on Charleston Battery. Uh, uh, They'll play them on the first game of the season on March 11 at 5.30. Phoenix Rising thrilled to announce the season. And the Arizona's Family Sports Entertainment Network can be found on Channel 44 and 116 on Cox. Five of the 34 games simulcast on 3TV, another broadcast on CBS 5. Bottom line is more platforms for more sports, and that's deal-making issue number three. Two. MSG Sports announces $821 million record revenue for last fiscal. Knicks and Rangers operating income becomes a big number, $86 million, after the prior year loss. Revenue up 98% year over year. All major revenue categories exceed fiscal 2019. Knicks and Rangers drive record high financial results and for both teams revenue for the year ended up nearly 100% over the course of the fiscal year significant demand especially with the Rangers playing fairly well and the Knicks making the playoffs and drove record high financial results chief executive officer says the Knicks will be a big deal in the future if and as they continue to improve. One. NFL extends the Players' Coalition partnership with a $15 million grant. And the NFL extending the partnership to address issues of racial and social justice, a five-year extension, $15 million grant through Inspire Change Initiative. The agreement comes as the league and its teams say they surpassed a $250 million commitment to combat systemic racism. The NFL says the goal is reached four years ahead of schedule. Players Coalition, an independent nonprofit aimed at social justice and racial equality. The group works with 1,400 pro athletes, coaches, owners across sports leagues. The extension and its new monies expected to help build on the NFL's social justice grants, which have not only benefited at least 650 local partners, but also contributed to significant legislative wins in areas that include youth justice, voter rights and restoration, policing, education, teacher equity, those areas specifically targeted by the Player Coalition, an independent nonprofit that's worked with more than 1,400 professional athletes, coaches, and owners across multiple sports leagues on how to educate and advocate for reform. 
along with its commitment to the Players Coalition. The NFL, with input from league partners and guidance from players, expected to announce it will direct its own national social justice grants toward causes that fall within the the four pillars of Inspire Change. Good to hear the NFL is proactive on all of these issues. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes significant change agents who've risen through the NFL and have their voice heard. What a great segue to Curtis Martin. Twelve seasons, three with the Pats, the rest, as we all know, with the Jets. Five Pro Bowls, 202,012 inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And yeah, his 14,101 yards, his 90 rushing touchdowns, his 3,329 receiving yards certainly uh, justifies his Pro Football Hall of Famedom as he retired in 2005, but there's more. He was born in a really, really tough neighborhood in Pittsburgh. I was honored to walk the neighborhood with Curtis Martin and also to be involved in his initiatives to raise money for fields and youth training in his area. He'll tell the story. He turned 50. He will turn 50 this calendar year. Fields, facilities, philanthropy. What a tremendous honor and award for a guy who admits he didn't like football growing up, and he did it effectively to support his family and generate money and credibility. Without further ado, here's Curtis Martin. Describe what it was like growing up in that neighborhood and, uh, and uh, you know, being Curtis Martin growing up in Homewood. Well, um, look, I, I don't think my experience was any different than anyone else growing up there. Uh, I, I think we've all had to deal with a certain amount of violence that yeah. uh, is somewhat known uh, in that area. Uh, just to give a little background, uh, my grandmother, who was like my mother, who lived in that area, we found her murdered. Uh, with a knife in her chest and eyes wide open and a broken neck and everything. When you were how old? Nine years old. Uh, Since then, I probably had uh, 35 to 40 friends or family members that have not just died, but have been murdered. Um, Last year, I was there and I was visiting this house uh, of a family that I used to stay at a lot when I was younger. And I decided that since I had my three and five-year-old girls with me and my wife, that I would take them by the field to show them where daddy used to play Mm -hmm. football when he was younger. Uh, We rode up there. I ended up getting out of the car, shaking some hands, uh, signed a couple autographs, had good conversation with a few people, stayed for maybe 10, 15 minutes. When I left, I got a text that said a little girl had just got shot in the head and shot in the foot. the one thing that struck me was that it's been like this since I was a kid, and which is almost four decades ago. And I just wanted to start the process of bringing some type of safety to that environment so that kids could go out there and play a game of football and not have to worry about returning home safe. Well, and your mom had a lot to do with where you are today, clearly. Yes. She encouraged you to play football, even though you may not have been that excited about playing football early on. Tell that story. Well, I I didn't want to play football. (laughs) Um, The head coach, who was also the gym teacher at the school I went to, Taylor Alderdice, 
had asked me to play every year, and I told him, no, I just don't, I don't feel like rolling around in the dirt with other men. You know, that was my uh, comment about football. Yeah. Uh, well, at the same time, my childhood best friend, someone mistaken identity, jumped out of a car with a shotgun and shot him in his chest, and he ran about 50 yards and collapsed and died. My mother came to me and said, listen, I'm just grateful that you're alive. You know, my mother's been killed, my sister's been killed, my brother uh, is in jail. If something happens to you, they might as well kill me also. That was her remarks. And she said, I want you to do anything after school just so that you're not in the neighborhood, hanging out in the neighborhood. Football was just the thing that came most natural, so I reluctantly did it. Go to Pitt, injured a lot, yes. still one of nine running backs drafted eight before you as I think I understand nine the before me I nine before tenth. you oh sorry yes. or ten yes. and so you made the decision to leave obviously before that college mm -hmm. uh, and Bill Parcells said some interesting things to you as well so tell that story well from what I understand the story goes that I was injured so much during my collegiate career that it was highly unlikely that I would ever even play in the yeah. NFL. If I did make it to the NFL, the chances of me surviving there was slim to none. Um, well, I think a large part of that was because I didn't take football serious. So it wasn't until my junior year, I believe, that I started really lifting weights. I mean, I was a knucklehead in college, I'll be very honest. And so, um, once I got drafted, I remember telling my family members and everyone who was there um, that I didn't want to play football. And one guy said to me, he said, well, Curtis, maybe football is just a vehicle that's going to help you to do all the good that you want to do in your community and, you know, in the country and around the world, possibly. So maybe football is just that vehicle. And it was from that moment on that football took on a different purpose. And it gave me that motivation to work hard, to lift weights, to do everything that I needed to do to be successful on the field. You also realize that your uh, admonition against rolling around with other guys in the dirt is only mm -hmm. relevant if they could catch you. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of, one of the things that I realized is that I always had an ability to uh, escape with my feet. You know, yeah. now in the hood, I was escaping from different things, which made football seem kind of easy for me. And, and uh, you know, I, again, if you would take the purpose that football served for me, I think I would have walked away from the game that very moment. So, because it didn't, the, the, the fame, the fortune and all that, it, it didn't mean enough for me, for me to put my all into the game. But as a platform, it meant a lot to put your all in. Yes. So now you take your platform to New England yes. and you do what you need to do, which is star, but you're known as someone with the Patriots who would do anything to empower kids and to do the right thing. Story is that you would show up at kids' birthday parties and on and on. Why was that so important to you? You had to um, excel as a professional, but you also had to give back. Was there a balance? Um, yes, I, I definitely think there's a balance because you can't do everything that someone requests for you to do. But for me, I try to treat every fan, every person that I interact with as though they're the only person that matters for that moment. And a little boy came up to me after one of the practices my rookie year. And he said, hey, Curtis Martin, can you sign this? And I signed it. He said, by the way, I have an invitation to my birthday party that's next week or so. And I'd love for you to come. And I want to invite you. And he gives me the invitation. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know what, buddy? If I can make it, I'll be there. And 
the week came around and I was just like, you know what? I'm actually free. And I gave that little guy my word, so let me go. And I went and it was just a big blast for them. You've actually, over the last hour or two, actually really even been nice to me, which I find hard to believe. <laughs> and it may be an incredible lapse of judgment, but that's, that's your call. Well, well you, you know, uh, I'm just trying to take it easy on you right now. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, ladies and gentlemen. But it's early in our relationship. I can guarantee yeah. you that. So here's the question. 14,101 rushing yards, 3,329 receiving yards, five Pro Bowls, and obviously the Hall of Fame in 2012. But the Bart Starr Man of the Year and the Ed Block Courage Award 2001, those latter awards probably mean uh, as much, if not more, to you than the numbers. Yes, yes. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. What they all mean to me, yeah. including the Hall of Fame, including going to the Super Bowl, all of those things, what they all mean to me is that doing what I really enjoy enjoy doing what really makes my heart sing is impacting people's lives in a positive way so for me every yard that I gained every touchdown I scored that just opened up another door for me to reach another person and so for me all of that stuff is I won't say proof because I already know it but it shows how adamant I was about using football as a vehicle to serve what I believe is a bigger purpose so let's talk about those platforms Curtis Martin Job Foundation talk about it the Joe Foundation, um, it was formed because I grew up with a single parent mother who struggled to just keep clothes on my back and food on the table. Uh, you know, I tell a story about when I was seven years old, you know, I had six and seven years old, I had to stay in the house by myself till nine or 10 o'clock at night because we couldn't afford a babysitter. And so what I started doing was I would come home from school and on my way home, I would carry groceries or I would knock on someone's door and ask, could I shovel their snow or rake their leaves? And by the time I got home, I had, you know, three or four dollars and I would use that to pay my babysitter. And um, so I wanted to start something that could help single parent mothers. And that was how the Job Foundation started. Job Foundation, really important, continuing and ongoing. Surgicorp, talk about that. Surgicor is another group that was supported by Joe Foundation and what they do is they go to third world countries and they do surgeries mm -hmm. for free. I mean, they'll stay there for two days and do, you know, 60 some surgeries and maybe even more. But some of the photos and some of the lives that are being changed through Surgicor is just amazing. I actually even, you know, I had partnered with Mayor Bloomberg in 2006 uh, for homelessness in New York City. Um, uh, so we, we do a, a variety of things. I've funded my foundation by myself. Every check that I've ever received from the time I was a rookie, I put 12 to 15 percent into this foundation. Now I do 20 to 25 percent. My goal is to live off of half of what I make and give the other half to charity. You're 45 right now. What are you doing with the final two-thirds of your life? Uh, more of what I've been doing. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm doing really well. I'm one of the fortunate ones who was able to retire and have a great post-business career. And so, as I said now, my goal in life is to, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to serve people and help people uh, in any way that I can. And I, I think being able to use my influence, my resources, my relationships, as well as the finances that I've been able to, uh, you know, gain over a number of years. Um, these are all the different components you need to help impact lives, and I'll do that for the rest of my life. 
and you're watching football on a regular basis, I'm sure. You have access to all the NFL guys, owners, and others. Uh, give me your top-line perspective. Is football, is the NFL moving in the right direction? If you had a magic wand, what would you change? Would you kind of be happy with where we are, or uh, would you inspire some changes in certain areas? Well, the one area, um, I think the NFL has done great as a business. Uh, the one area that I would like to see some improvement on is the uh, relationships between the union and the league, the players and the owners, however you phrase it, but that relationship, because in the future, I believe that there needs to be a partnership. And without a partnership, you know, it concerns me about the direction of the game because I think we all need to work together to utilize this stage that we all have to do a whole lot of good. And I don't want us to diminish all that we can through, do through the game of football. I think the football has been good to all of us who have played the game, and I think we've been good to the game. Uh, but I think there needs to be a collective effort going forward to really make a difference in the world. And football is the stage that can do that. And then finally, related to that, you've said a few times that football has in large part saved your life. What is it about the power of sports that would and will inspire people to do great by doing good? Yeah, uh, well again, I think the power of sports is that people love sports and the NFL is the most watched sport in the world other than worldwide soccer. You know, um, and so, you know, I've spoken to a lot of the guys. I mean, I've spoken to Roger Goodell, and I know that he really wants to do a lot in communities. I know that they really want to use football as a vehicle also. Um, and I really just want to see this continue to grow. And, and I, the reason why I think the partnership is important is because I think that's the only way that it will grow and that the efforts will grow. I, I think that football can be more than just a huge stage. I think football can be an element of change, uh, not just in communities, but in the lives of the players. I know for me, football was almost like a second parent. It taught me a lot of things that my parents couldn't teach me or didn't even know to teach me. It taught me how to be disciplined. It taught me how to work hard. It taught me how to stay focused. It taught me how to care about my teammates and care about others. There are a lot of life lessons that are very valuable to every man that steps out on that field. And I believe that the NFL, like I say, it goes beyond uh, the stage that it is, and it's the impact that it can have on the individuals, and hopefully that impact can be expressed uh, in the community and in the country. Well, you can clearly understand by now what an inspiration Curtis Martin is, and as we head toward the Super Bowl and the selection of other Hall of Famers and the Man of the Year, one would hope that they follow in many significant ways in, in Curtis Martin's footsteps. Here's a Sports Gaming Minute. Caesars gets a Massachusetts retail sports betting access via Rain and Parks partnership. The, the 30,000-square-foot Caesars Sportsbook retail location will be one of the largest freestanding race and sports wagering facilities in the United States. plan requires approval from the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. Caesars Sportsbook is the strongest retail sports gaming brand in the industry, say their release, and certainly the official start of the Bay State wagering 
in about a week in three casinos. Rain and Park and another former live racing facility, Suffolk Downs, eventually offer the same in-person wagering opportunities. That's your Sports Gaming Minute. How about your Sports Tech Minute? And it starts with the end of the Australian Open. Player performance, fan engagement, gender equality, and environment are the focus of intake from seven sports tech startups and their incubator function. The AO Startups Incubator offers these companies resources and exposure to take a next step. For example, Recuts technology used during the tournament to create personalized videos for fans in Calyx will be detailing the environmental impact of food at the event. Others such as Matchy and Equity used across Australia's tennis ecosystem. TA also been working with the long-term technology partner Infosys on a range of projects at this year's Australian Open, that's Tennis Australia. Platform also used to support Tennis Australia's digital and social media channels. Fans had access to an overhead match center on the official Australian Open website and mobile application. Featuring data-driven insights and real-time predictions, Australian Open uh, for this year is over, but the tech issues are just beginning. And finally, the Good Sports 5, our normal philanthropy, even more important this year, this week, heading to the Super Bowl. Sapphire Sports starts a $181 million venture fund as that sector grows. Could mean investments in fan engagement-focused sports, sports-adjacent companies, and philanthropy. The EuroLeague and VBVR to YBVR to launch regular season broadcasts in VR, Real Madrid versus Barcelona, to air via VR plug-in in the EuroLeague TV OTT service. New avenue for monetization, to be sure, and new avenues for philanthropy as well. Body Armor Sports Drink kicks off Operation Homefront Partnership with a $500,000 donation in support of military families. The donation and launch of a new cherry lime sports drink flavor. Body Armor also committed to leveraging existing partnerships with Penske and Major League Soccer throughout the year to help drive awareness for Operation Homefront's mission. The ICC study says that the most followed international sports federation on social media is the International Cricket Council, reportedly recommending six Team 20 events for men and women to the International Olympic Committee. Many think it'll happen. And then finally, my hometown Miami Dolphins Challenge career event rides in February, one of the most successful events named after and honored for Don Shula and others through the Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center, the University of Miami, and others, raised over $53 million to cancer research at the center. And the money raised by the DCC comes from efforts within the foundation, amazing community of Dolphin fans who get on their bikes and support this effort. We will continue to monitor it as it happens in the month of February. As we got this week, really excited about Super Bowl stuff, but also excited about the support we got from Curtis Martin. He is certainly one of a kind in a very positive way. I'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping us put the show together, as well as you all for listening and watching. And join us as we get close to Super Bowl Sunday, but also join us again for another edition of this podcast as we go inside the one3 trillion dollar business of sports. I'm the sports professor Ricardo. Speak with you soon. <music>